Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Bowls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audioboom, TuneIn, Google Play, anywhere else that we can find podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe and check out the other podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Bowls, like us on Facebook at Locked On Bowls. And if you want to advertise with us or have questions you want us to answer on the show, make sure you email us at LockedOnBowls at gmail.com. I'm Sean Hyken of The Athletic. With me, as always, Cody Westerland of 670 to score. Cody, we're going to have some hard Bulls news later this week. Two things. It's very true. NBA Draft Lottery, Tuesday evening. And on Thursday evening, all NBA teams announced which... Of course, carries ramifications under the new CBA because players can, through the designated player veteran exception, did I say mm-hmm. it, something along the lines yeah. uh, correctly there, can qualify for huge contracts. But back to the lottery part first, this, as we record uh, early Monday evening, is being described as maybe the biggest 24 hours in Boston Celtics franchise history between Game 7 against the Warriors, excuse me, against the Wizards that is awaiting for them, and then the lottery, which of course makes it a really big 24 hours for the Bulls, too, Sean. Celtics draft lotto pick. That's right. Well, a couple of things. First of all, I mean, there's there's technically not a 0% chance <laughs> the Bulls can get the Kings pick, but it's like 1 in 18,000 or something. The, the top three, because the way the lottery works, for those who don't know, is they do the ping pong balls for the top three picks, and the rest of it just goes in Fire order. Right. So the, the top, so three teams that are behind the Kings. The Kings are eighth right now. Yeah. So if everything goes, everything shakes out. So what? Three of the so, so three teams that are behind the Kings in the lottery standing. Three of the all six have to teams get, with the worst odds would have to jump into the top three to kick the Kings to number eleven. Which I'm glad you brought up because I forgot about that point. So that's very possible. It, it's it's possible. Like there's like there's like a one in eighteen thousand chance so that it happens. Saying there's a chance. So it's technically not zero. And then if the Kings do keep their own pick, which I think everybody expects, the Bulls will get the Kings' second-round pick, which would be the 38th pick, which Certainly. is a pretty safe assumption to make. But yeah, the Celtics getting, you know, the Celtics right now have the best odds to get the number one pick because they have the Brooklyn Nets pick, so that's a 25% chance. And yeah, if they have the number one pick or the number two pick, that's maybe going to reopen the Jimmy Butler discussion. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because there's several factors at play. In addition to just wanting to win for the chase for the championship, I think it's important uh, for the Celtics to win Game 7 against the Wizards, to find out how close uh, their team is currently to being able to defeat LeBron. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, If they get swept by the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, if they do get past the Wizards uh, in Game 7, like they're going to be like, eh, let's, let's just keep Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball until uh, LeBron's gone, you know? Mm-hmm. If they... I mean, if that series goes seven games or something, I know we're getting really far ahead of ourselves here, but just how the Celtics fare here, too. Uh, their playoff outcome matters, I think. And it's kind of probably a sliding scale, too, with that pick. You know, if it's a number three pick for the Celtics and they are interested in getting Jimmy Butler or Paul George, something like that, 
they're obviously going to be more likely, I think, to part with the number three pick, but the other team on the flip side, the Bulls, potentially aren't going to want that nearly as much. So Or they'd ask for more factors. or they'd ask for more other stuff. If they yeah. get the number one pick, then the trade might just be the number one pick plus whatever contract you need to throw in to make the salaries work. If it's the number three or four pick, you, you might have to be NBA like, okay, talent, maybe. now you know, now you need the pick plus like Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and like some other stuff. Like, or you or you maybe need this 2018 Nets pick also. Yeah, certainly. So uh, Tuesday will be interesting to see how those ping pong balls uh, play out. And then Thursday uh, is when the NBA announces the All-NBA teams, right? And then the finalists for the MVP, Sixth Man of the Year, and stuff like that. that. That stuff's announced Friday, the yeah. award finalists. Oh, okay, okay. So that's coming up. But the, the All-NBA teams matter, uh, Sean. Explain to them why it matters. Because under the new CBA, the designated veterans player exception, um, players will be eligible for another tier of contract given uh, their experience, which is guys entering the eighth or ninth years mm-hmm. in the NBA and can get what is it, up to 35% of the salary cap or something, yeah. which tell them how much money that opens it up to though. Essentially you're getting, you know, you're talking about if, uh, you know, let's say somebody doesn't get the, get the qualification for the designated player exception, which is you have to win one MVP or you have to get uh, an all NBA team or, or defensive player of the year in two of the preceding three years. So Let's say in Jimmy Butler's case, if he makes All-NBA this year, then if he makes All-NBA one of the next two years after that, yeah. then he's eligible for yeah. the uh, designated player exception. Yeah, and it's uh, there's a lot of factors at work, too, because of that player option that Jimmy has. So he could conceivably, in 2018 or 2019, maybe be looking at the t- this decision um, again if he gets All-NBA and then pushes and opts into that player option and stuff like that. Well, he um, actually doesn't even have to do that. I was I was able to get some clarification on this uh, last week at the combine. I ran into Bobby Marks, who used okay. to be a, a assistant GM for the Nets for many years, and now he kind of writes the salary cap CBA stuff for for the vertical. He's one of the more knowledgeable guys out there about this kind of stuff, and I just asked him for clarification. What he told me is that you are allowed to tear up an option year and sign an extension if you get the right qualification. So if okay. Jimmy Butler makes All NBA next year then the Bulls will be able to sign. He, he can opt out in 2019, but if he gets All-NBA next year and meets the eligibility requirements for that uh, $210 million accept, or extension or whatever it is, it's going to be yeah. something along those lines as opposed to 170 or 180 if he doesn't get it, then he can just sign that extension in 2018. It'll tear up his player option year in 2019-20, and then after 2019, just the five-year extension would just kick in, and he wouldn't even become a free agent, and he would just that five-year extension would just kick in. So... Basically, depending on whether Jimmy Butler makes All-NBA later this week, that could factor into whether he's looking at a whole lot of money down the line. You know, Paul George kind of looking at the same thing, Gordon Hayward potentially. So that's going to be real interesting to watch. We actually have a question about yeah, that it from leads a into listener. What, what the aptly named Jimmy on Twitter uh, asks as well. You think this was Jimmy Butler's like secret account asking us for CBA? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like Jimmy's probably already on the beach and uh, checked out of Twitter a little bit here. Probably log in on... Uh, Tuesday and Thursday. What's Mark Wahlberg's Wi-Fi? Do you think Mark Wahlberg yeah. has Wi-Fi at his private resort? <laughs> Jimmy walks in and be like, Mark, what's the password again for, for your Wi-Fi? i got to check this, you know? Uh, i got to send this question to Locked on Bulls. But Jimmy on Twitter asks, if Jimmy Butler's eligible for that uh, veteran player exception and ex- big extension, does that mean he's more or less likely to stay in Chicago in the future? And this is it's a very good question because from the Bulls' prism, you have to look at it 
um, through the perspective of offering a guy who's got a lot of wear and tear on his body the minutes Jimmy Butler's played. And you're looking at a guy that's 29, going on 30 when this is probably going to kick in yeah. and everything, and going so hard every season this past year. We know how, how much work and effort it took Jimmy to drag him into the playoffs, and he had some knee soreness in the playoffs. So from Jimmy Butler's perspective, it's, yes, the more money Chicago offers me or can offer me, the more likely he is to stay in Chicago. But from the Bulls' perspective, they could be a lot less hesitant to give Jimmy Butler a five-year... more hesitant. Or, yes, yes, more hesitant to give Jimmy Butler a five-year, 210, 220, who knows where the salary cap is. It'll be somewhere out there. Uh, That sort of extension or contract. So what do you think, Sean? I mean, it's an interesting question. I'll start out by saying that if the Bulls offer Jimmy this extension, he's going to sign it because Correct. no, he's he's not going to turn down that much. Even even if he's maybe a little fed up with how this team is being built and this kind of stuff, he's not going to turn down two hundred million dollars. That's an ex- insane amount of money to turn down. Nobody turns down that kind of money. But yeah, from the Bulls' perspective, it's an interesting question, and it's not so much about the first couple of years. It's more like the back end of that contract. He'll be twenty nine when that extension kicks in in the summer of twenty nineteen. Which means if it's a five-year extension, do you? If you're the Bulls, do you want 34-year-old Jimmy Butler making 44, 45 million dollars on your books? Like, is that is that something you want? Because as good as he is, he's a guy that, like you said, he's got a lot of miles on him, got a lot of wear and tear on him. We don't know how good he's going to be by then. So that's one side of the argument. The other side of it that I feel like is they kind of have no other... If they if they decide they're going to keep him, because if you're going to trade him and get some picks back and really rebuild and tear it down, that's kind of another thing. But if you decide you want to stay competitive and you know keep this group and rebuild around Jimmy and you don't trade him like this year or at the deadline or something like that, you kind of just have to give him the money. It's the same situation that Memphis found themselves in with Mike Conley last summer, the same situation that Toronto is going to find themselves in with Kyle Lowry this summer. Is that contract going to look like... Because, like, Kyle Lowry's going to be eligible for a five-year, like, $209 million contract this mm. summer. And I kind of think the move for the Raptors is just to give it to him. Because, honestly, like, that contract isn't going to look great down the line, like, on the back end the last couple of years of that deal. But if you don't give it to him, like, what's the alternative? How are you going to get better? How are you going to find a player as good as him without trading him, which you might not be able to do once he's on that contract? So here's, here's another factor involved here is that that means the Bulls can offer up to that much. And that's a lot more than other teams will be able to offer because it's the team that drafted you and you've been with, obviously. So there's, what, maybe a $30 million or more gap there, probably maybe $40 because of that extra year and everything uh-huh. and percentage bump. That doesn't mean the Bulls have to offer him all that. But then feelings come into this because if you offer just a little bit more than the other team's max offer is eligible, Jimmy, in his mind, can think, well, they're not treating me like a max player because they're not giving me the max offer that they could, even though it's more than Team X, Y, and Z. Well, I'll have to check on this. I wonder if this is in the new CBA, but uh, I don't know if you're allowed to offer a five-year extension. If it's if it's an extension, if it's not in free agency, because if it's a if it's in free agency, the incumbent team can offer him the five-year deal, oh, whatever yeah. you want. First of all, first of all, the Bulls would be the only team that could give him five years. So there's that yeah. part of it. But the other part of it is, I mean, if you, if you remember a few years ago, Denver got in a little bit of trouble because they tried to sign Kenneth Fareed to like a five-year, $60 million extension, and then the league came in and said, hey, wait a minute, the only time you can sign somebody to a five-year deal is if you're giving him that designated player max. So 
There might, and I'll have to, I'll have to look into. No, it. you have a good point. I think I mixed that up with the Al Horford thing last year, which would kick in if Jimmy was completely unrestricted free agent and everyone was bidding, and we're talking a summer in advance of the big deal. Right is when he could do it. Um, so that's a good point. So that would be a problem what I just referenced if Jimmy did, for some reason, if the Bulls passed on giving him the huge extension. Or just, even eligible. if it's just giving him the fifth year, because by the time yeah. of the... That could be... Feelings could come into play down the line where star players with their incumbent teams can sign for an extra year, but if they don't give them that extra year or all of that money in the extra year, that can create hard feelings. You know what I mean? Because one team's doing you as a max player on a four-year deal where your incumbent team isn't viewing you that on a five-year deal, potentially. It's kind of interesting that this was put into the new CBA in order to help the team that drafted these players keep the guys that they drafted and keep their stars. Already we've seen, you know, it kind of have the opposite effect. You know, DeMarcus Cousins, I think part of why New or-, or why Sacramento traded him to New Orleans now is because they didn't want, want to give him that contract. You know, with... with uh, if, you know, if Paul George doesn't qualify for that extension with the Pacers, I think it makes it a lot more likely that he gets traded this summer. And then with, with the Bulls, if they decide they don't want to give Jimmy Butler $200 million if he qualifies for it, then maybe him qualifying for it would drive them to trade him, which is kind of, it's kind of interesting. an exit. Yeah. Um, I'm on the bandwagon that I don't think you give Jimmy Butler 210 or $220 million when he's going to be going into age 29, 30 seasons there on that deal. Unless you know in summer 2018 something that everyone doesn't know publicly, unless you know you're attracting another star in free agency or a really good um, sidekick for Jimmy or even another 1-1A type guy, you know what I mean? Because the Bulls have been preaching... It's Carmelo Anthony. To them. No, not Carmelo Anthony. Summer 2018 and 19 financial flexibility... A ton. Have you looked at the free agent class for 2018? I haven't got. It's too not far. good. Okay. There's like so, no, there's like no. It's not like two, you know 2010. It's typical where, Bulls to preach that and then well, not have any good players. Well, because remember 2010, uh, like five teams, including the Bulls, were like we're really preserving all our cap flexibility, so we're going to be able to make moves. And we're going to go after LeBron and Wade and Bosh and, and they you know, all, all the these stars. Team. Well, they all go to the Heat, but like those, that's at least a free agent class where you can look at it and say it's worth having cap space instead of in case LeBron wants to come to us. That, like that year, I don't have a list of names in front of me, but it's not good. Like there's yeah. nobody who's worth just clearing the decks for. Yeah, there's just not enough of them per se, is what you're saying too. So the part that that's hard there too is unless you know something. Right now you're looking at Jimmy Butler. I mean, the only thing the Bulls have proved with Jimmy Butler in the prime of his career, the best season of his career this year, maybe he's a little better next year, but like this, we're probably and we're probably at the height of what Jimmy Butler's going to produce. Now, sure. every time we say that, he elevates his game to another level, so you got to be careful in saying that. But we also have to realize that he's reaching the mountaintop here, getting close to it, and the only thing that's been proved so far is the Bulls can be an eight seed with him, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, leading the way. And I know a lot of that, most of that has to do with the rest of the team built around him and the front office. But, look, Jimmy Butler's not going to ascend until he's age 34. He's going to start the decline like most players do around probably age 30, something like that. So let's say... And that's know, a really, really tough territory to be in if you're giving him $40 million a year. So let's say the contract kicks in when he's... 29. Let's say the first two years of the contract, he stays kind of at the level yeah. that he's at now, where he's like a top 10 level guy, all NBA guy, all star, you know, elite two way guy. 
so the, for the first two years of the contract through age 31. And then after that, he declines a little bit each year until, you know, you get to the point by the end of that, the end of that contract where he's not, you know, he's not nearly the player he used to be at age 34, which I think is probably the most likely scenario. I still think you give it to him. If, if, the, if, the, if, the, if the two choices, I mean, because if, let's, like, let's say if Boston wins the lottery or they get the number two pick and you're going to get like a franchise player type of guy that, in, that you are going to have team control over for 12 years and that's on the table, then you think about that. But let's say that kind of offer isn't on the table and your options are either keep Jimmy Butler and give him all this money or let him walk in free agency and get nothing back. I think you just give him the money and worry about how the contract looks later because you're never going to get a player as good as Jimmy Butler like that in free agency. You're not going to have any way of getting better if you let him go. It's the same. I mean, it's the exact same thing because I feel like the Raptors should probably just pay Kyle Lowry this summer, even though that's not the greatest. Long-term I think there's play. another factor in Jimmy Butler here too, though, is the locker room problems that have been persistent the two seasons in which he's been the Bulls' best player here, mm-hmm. which has coincided with the two seasons of the Hoiberg era, uh, obviously, and that's a lot of money to give someone who you have to carefully, fragilely build a team around. Maybe you know what I mean, like. He's already ostracized and upset a lot of the young players in the locker room. And look, the Bulls move forward. They're getting over it. But, like, it's not like we're walking out here with, I mean, who are the greatest leaders, the locker room leaders in NBA history? You know what I mean? It's not like this this vibrant personality like Magic Johnson. Right. Or everyone, or Steve Nash, where everyone just drew around him. Or a person as selfless as Tim Duncan. Or LeBron. You know what I mean? Or, yeah, LeBron. I mean, LeBron... Takes a lot of barbs at his teammates to the media through the years, but I mean, he's just been a phenomenal leader, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just phenomenal. And that's really concerning to me, too. When you weigh all that money against the mileage, the impending decline once that contract soon after it kicks in, and you still have leadership questions, and it doesn't appear like you can ascend to great heights with Jimmy Butler and Fred Hoiberg as your two central figures kind of on your basketball team for long stretches. Uh-huh. Uh, I tend to say no at this point, but we'll see how the next few nights and basically the next year play out, obviously, is a big deal. Did have another question here um, from Locked on Bulls, or at Locked on Bulls Twitter, uh, from Bulls for Life. What's the best case scenario on the Bulls for next season? A possible out-of-the-box scenario that might happen? What do you think, Sean? Like, I haven't thought long and hard about this, but I think... Best possible outcome for the Bulls, like, is they add someone who fits Fred Hoiberg's system in the draft. That person shows that growth during his rookie season. Um, I think it's Bobby Portis becoming, transcending, ascending to being a NBA starter. Mm-hmm. That would be a magnificent thing for the Bulls next year. I'm not thinking about this in terms of win and losses and, like, playoff push. Like, I'm thinking second round is best-case scenario in the playoffs for the Bulls next year, probably. Um, And this is, again, getting ahead of ourselves, but we don't expect a life-changing team franchise-altering free agency here. I think the best-case scenario next year is progress from these young guys. Denzel Valentine taking a step where he's more than a spot-up shooter, Bobby Portis being a starter, something like that. So he said he wants an outside the box scenario. How outside the box are we talking here? We like LeBron could decide to retire and play baseball, and then that opens up the East. That might sense. be slightly outside the box, maybe a little farther than that's we, yeah. something. That's something that could happen. But 
Yeah, you know, I think I think the realist, semi-realistic. I don't think it's going to happen, but the best case scenario for you know how, things that are within the realm of possibility is they somehow convince Dwayne Wade to opt out of that twenty-three million dollars, and then they have a lot more room to kind of reshape the team, sign some guys. But you know, assuming that Wade opts in, they keep Rondo, they don't trade Jimmy, then yeah, I think the best case scenario is these young guys develop and they'll probably be around where they were last this past year, a 500 team that makes the playoffs and loses in the first round. Best case scenario for me is they sign Tony Allen, and he has lots of great quotes I would season. Be, How about that? I would love that. I would actually, uh, that would be a good case scenario if they got Tony Allen on a short-term contract yeah. and added a defensive player to uh, help Jimmy Butler out there in the backcourt. You know That'd what be, I mean? Yeah, uh, he can't I, shoot worth a lick, and that wouldn't help the Hoiberg system at all, but... Um, there's a lot of things out there that are possible. Uh, along those lines, another question uh, here on Twitter from Mandela asks, what need is most important in draft considerations? Shooter, defense, rim protection? My take would be find a player who does multiple things well. Find a two-way basketball player. Bobby Portis fell to the Bulls a couple of years ago. Everyone lauded them for it. It was a good draft pick. You're not finding um, usually stars at number 22. And you took a guy with a lot of upside who impressed for long stretches as a rookie before not progressing quite as much, obviously, as anyone wanted as a second-year guy. But he's still just an offensive guy. Denzel Valentine, just an offensive guy. Neither one of these guys has great court vision to open up a ton for teammates. If they do have the vision, they don't have the ball handling ability to give them the opportunity to open up the court for teammates too. Like they're kind of one-dimensional players. Find a player who does multiple things well on the basketball court. If that's younger and more athletic and ability to shoot and defend, that's great. It needs to be something along those lines. Well, I mean, I think the obvious most important thing is if there's any Ames Iowa connections. That's the I think that's the obviously the most important thing they look for. But other than that, uh yeah, I think I think they need to get, I think they need to get away from proven you know older you know guys from major like because you know they done they did that with Doug McDermott they did that with Denzel Valentine in terms of like drafting guys who are quote unquote ready to play right now and then never playing as a rookie or not playing very consistent minutes. I feel like you need to go and take a shot on somebody who's younger. I mean, I hate to use the cliche at this point, but younger and more athletic, somebody who actually has room to develop and has a higher ceiling and maybe hope that they can actually reach that ceiling but yeah i mean you got having a shooter would help having someone who can defend would help mandela follows up with who impressed you last weekend at the combine let's just tie it into a guy that fits that bill and also would fit the first part of the question to what sean responded with uh terrence ferguson the 18 year old i believe he's turning 19 years old like today tomorrow this week sometime Really young, jumps out of the gym, just spent the last year playing in the professional league in Australia after bypassing the opportunity to go to the University of Arizona because he wanted to make some money to help his mom out. He wanted to focus entirely on basketball, and he blazed a little bit of a trail there. That's a guy who, he did not shoot well in Australia. That needs to be said. I think 30, 31% from three-point range in limited minutes that season, but he was heralded um, while he's in high school on the AAU circuit a little bit as being a guy who could shoot, um, impressed in some of those all-star games and such. And we know he's a great athlete. We know he's a guy who has the potential to be a good defender. That's different from 
he's still raw, really raw, but that's different from not having the ability, you know what I mean? Um, so that's a guy that's an example. I was impressed. He didn't play in games at the Combine, but I was impressed with him in the sense that like he was really confident and he seemed to be aware of when we interviewed him of what he was and wasn't maybe so far in the sense that he admitted I had a small role in Australia last year. It wasn't necessarily about how many points I scored in Australia. It wasn't necessarily about um, if I'm a 15 points per game scorer when I show up in the NBA in the first couple of years. It was about development, he was basically explaining, and he thought he did that. So I liked, I just liked the head on the kid, um, which you don't, you get from a lot of these guys, I think at the Combine, are at least polished enough media-wise, having played in college and having agents that point this out and being around it. Like, they can make a good impression, but I think some of that isn't quite as authentic as maybe what Terrence Ferguson came across as. And I think that year in Australia where, look, he wasn't a superstar either. I mean, he was a role player there. A lot of these guys come in the NBA having been a superstar and it's just a transition to the NBA to be a bench guy or a role player earlier in their careers and you wonder how he's fit. And he's already done that. So I was impressed with him. Uh, honestly, I didn't watch the games that closely. Uh, I was doing a lot of interviews. I think you were too mm-hmm. um, last week. But I don't know, do you have any... Do you have any sleepers, anyone that impressed you at the Combine and anything along that regard you mentioned? Um, guys that maybe were not the four-year mold of college guys. Well, Terrence Ferguson is a guy that I, I agree with you. I think he'd be an intriguing guy to look at. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, the point guard, is the other one. Louisville. Yeah, from Louisville. Yeah. That's a guy that we talked about. If you want more Combine talk, you should check out the episode we did last yeah. week with Ricky. Ricky fills us in on everything. Makes us geniuses. Definitely uh, check that one out. So... Um, yeah, I mean, I would like to see them think a little bigger, too, than just next year, you know, how's he fit in next year and the year after, because, again, this, there's so much at stake here at these next few years with the Bulls when you're weighing the present versus the future. Er- Aristotelus asks us, Greek Bulls fan here on Twitter says, could the Bulls get a high second-round pick for Jaron Grant or Cameron Payne? I strongly believe one of them will not play in Chicago next year. Um, I envision both of them playing in Chicago next year. I don't think they could get any sort of pick for Cameron Payne. No. Jaron Grant, a high second-round pick if the other team really liked him. The problem is there's a lot of good young point guards in the NBA, and there's a crop of six really good young point guards about to enter the NBA. So I don't see that. What do you say? They're both going to be on the Bulls next season unless Cameron Payne gets waived. That's the only way I can see that happening. Or the, 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 uh, because yeah, I mean, if you're any other, if you're any of these teams, has either of these guys shown enough? I mean, I think Jaron Grant is still going to be a good NBA player eventually. But you know, if you're another team, you could get a player who's as good as Jaron Grant in the second round with that pick. Yes, that's probably a good way to put it. Um, Jaron Grant. Again, I feel like I've. I've been on Jaron Grant Island here more than anyone throughout the past year. Um, he's, I think he can, I say that, he can. I've said on many occasions he can play alongside Jimmy Butler. And I think he approved some things in knocking down open threes, being a little bit more decisive when he knew his role, playing alongside Jimmy starting last year. Uh, I think he's an NBA rotational guy. Uh, I do think there's, there's a certain fit out there on the court of guys he probably needs to play with. You know what I mean? Okay. He fits in. He's not a guy that uh, is is elevating others to a new level. So um, 
I do think teams would rather just have that pick um, than that. So I would agree with that. We'll wrap it up here with a uh, with an old question in the old days here from uh, Thomas on Twitter says, I got into a heated debate with several people on this one. Who is a better player, MVP season Derrick Rose or current Jimmy Butler? I think Butler just because of the defense. I'm not with you on this one. MVP season Rose. MVP season Rose, I think, was a, clearly a better basketball player than Jimmy Butler. Um, I agree. Jimmy Butler is a better two-way player. But the way Rose lifted those bulls and... I just thought he was transcendent that season. I think everyone agrees with that. I think people obviously agree that LeBron was still a better basketball player that season and shut him down in the fourth quarters of the playoff series. And you probably should just give LeBron more MVPs throughout the course of his career, Mm -hmm. probably, as he proves in the NBA Finals sometimes. For example, last year uh, where he took over again and even two years ago where the Cavs were depleted. Or like Um, right now, the playoffs are going on right now. I I think that's a pretty good LeBron MVP um, Rose got to the basket at will in 2011. Like, you could just call the play. Uh, the Bulls need a hoop. Just, he, I think he contorted a defense in a way that very few players in NBA history can do. And I don't think Jimmy Butler has the ability to shift a defense like Derrick Rose did that year. And he was so good at finishing around the rim. I mean, he's at his heyday of athleticism before the knee injuries and just his ability to finish and, like, found himself as a basketball player. I think Derrick Rose MVP year, I take him starting a team for one year over Jimmy Butler in current form. I don't know. Have at it. Tee it up back at me. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I mean, I think there's an argument both ways. I Obviously, yeah, I think people kind of lose sight of just how dominant Derrick Rose was that year some for jimmy we're gonna sum for him uh thursday when he's probably named to like probably named but i mean all nba team or something i mean i just i think you know the, the way that jimmy has kind of added more to his game over the years you know in the way that Derek never and obviously he had the injuries but like if he if, if Derek had ever like learned how to shoot i think you know we'd be you know we'd be having a different discussion but the way that jimmy kind of add you know he's added different things to his game over the course of the thing yeah. and plus the, i mean just the defense i think is another thing you have to yeah you can make the argument like if you need one game to beat lebron that this current version of jimmy butler gets yeah. you closer to doing that in a one game scenario because of his ability to play both ways than just Derek starting from scratch or something but um I mean, he was something. Like, say what you want. LeBron maybe still should have won the MVP. Derrick Rose was... He was worthy of an MVP. He still played at an MVP level, even if LeBron was a little better that year. And he won it because this performance deserved it. And I think that's just a level that, um, as awesome as Jimmy Butler has been, I don't think that's a level he's ever going to quite get to. So, uh, I would like to know what people want to tweet back, what they think. Thomas seems to indicate it was a heated argument, so people had really strong beliefs on either side of this one so i'd like to hear him if you want to tweet him at locked on bulls on twitter or if you want to email him at locked on bulls at gmail.com on twitter uh with any basketball on t- email um with any basketball questions uh advertising inquiries also always welcome follow locked on bulls on facebook uh follow sean at hiking on twitter and myself at cody westerland we always appreciate the uh support the feedback the questions uh definitely need plenty of those as the summer Moves on with uh, summer mailbags as we uh, talk draft lotto this week. On Thursday, we'll talk uh, all-NBA teams. 
We'll have uh, plenty of stuff leading up to the draft, free agency, but uh, questions always appreciated. Most of all, please subscribe to the podcast. That's right. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, TuneIn, Google Play, anywhere else you can find podcasts. Make sure you leave us a review, tell your friends to subscribe. Check out the other podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network as well. Uh, and, you know, as always, you know, if you subscribe to The Athletic to read my work, check out 670thescore.com to read Cody's work. We'll be back with you later this week. Thanks for listening.